first of all, um, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Um, today's a, an, a, a slightly different podcast than we've done in the past. Normally we focus on legal issues and, and often it can be, you know, whilst we have some anti-doping and some other things where, where athletes are involved, sometimes we, uh, in the business of sport and law, um, we overlook some of the really important stuff that's going on, particularly at grassroots and, on, and international development. So today, um, my guests uh, are Vijay and Catherine. I wondered to begin with, Vijay, could you introduce yourself and say what your real role is, both um, with, the, with the organisation and on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I'm the currently head of legal at UK Sport, and I volunteer uh, for as company secretary for International Inspiration. So, nine to five UK Sport. Well, get loads loads of quick questions about anything from everything. From uh, can you look at this policy for me? Can you look at this contract with this particular contractor with me? Um, and it's got to be done by five p.m. today. Through to oh, um, we've got a board meeting coming up. We need a paper for this or an audit committee or what's the latest governance position on X, Y, and Z. So it is very varied. In relation to international installations, um, I am the company secretary, so this role oversee, um, really is much about making sure compliance with the Companies Act, making sure we're, uh, we're following Charities Commission's guidelines, supporting the legal and governance process first and foremost. Um, that in practice means working with a board, and the executive team from anything from doing due diligence about uh, prospective partners, from looking at grant agreements to insurance requirements, through to making sure the statutory books uh, are all up to date, the minutes are up to date, and making sure uh, all the filings are also up to date. Um, so, But you have to be on your toes because there's a lot of very high-profile individual people on the board, and definitely the person that gives me the hardest time is Catherine. And- so, Catherine, I think everyone will know who you are, but can you introduce yourself um, and explain what you do at Inspiration International? I'm uh, Catherine Granger, and better known for sitting in a boat and going backwards. So, I've been to the last four Olympics as part of the British rowing team. I'm a full-time athlete, but I also sit in the International Inspiration Board of Trustees. And I definitely do not give BJ the hardest time. I'm sure there's much tougher people than me in the board. Um, but, I mean, basically, the board... You know, governs the overall strategy of the charity and brings together just massive different expertise within sport and also within international development sectors so we can advise and, and support the charity's development for financial, fundraising, communication strategy, plans, all sorts of different stuff. Um, and we work closely with the executive team and the chair who was well, who set up and very recently just stepped down was Lord Setko. So he's uh, he's the one with the biggest profile so far. Um, but it's it's been, I mean, as an athlete, getting to sort of work with, with that calibre of people and, and doing the sort of jobs we do, it's really, I mean, it really is a privilege. And Catherine, can you explain, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the charity, exactly the type of work and, and some of the projects you're involved with and how 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 big the scope is? Yeah, of course. So uh, it's called International Inspiration. Um, it's, it's shortened to IN because it's much easier to say. Um, and it, the idea behind it is believing that Sport can provide young people all around the world uh, with a chance to learn and develop and basically create new opportunities for them. So from our point of view, children and young people are some of the most vulnerable um, people in the world and they, they can potentially face a, just a lifetime of discrimination while they're trapped in poverty. So the idea is that sport can play a really influential role in achieving worldwide change. Um, 
through just through its ability to bring people together, providing a platform to reach out, engaging young people in issues that might directly affect them, things like education, promoting human rights, gender equity, and making sure especially children with disabilities have the same chances as everyone else around them. Um, so the, the charity works in nine countries at the moment and providing young people with opportunities to gain new skills, access education, um, get health information through sport. And the charity's work started out way back um, when the, the Singapore bid was made in 2005 for the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. The idea that that sport was going to be uh, uh, getting opportunities through sport was a huge theme throughout the bid. So International Inspiration, or IN, was London's international promise to share the spirit of sport outside of the British Isles. And from 2007 to 2014, International Inspiration um, operated three levels of intervention. So first of all, working with participants, which are the children and young people, working with practitioners, which who are coaches, schools, and sports clubs, um, and then also policymakers, that's national governments, international government organisations. So that's the three Ps, the participants, the practitioners, and the policymakers. And the programme ran in 20 countries around the world uh, and reached lives of 25 million children and young people. So still working with existing governmental structures, uh, 55 policy papers were influenced, including some significant changes to PE in the education curriculum. So, I mean, it, I mean, just from my experience, you just know that sport can reach vast numbers of people in really hard-to-reach places, uh, and those probably most in need. It's it's low-cost, it's high-impact intervention, and hopefully a springboard to much bigger social issues. So aside from direct benefits of, that we all know, you know, physical activity can give, at present, sport is probably not sufficiently acknowledged or valued as having a big role in international development. The work we've discussed, the potential to be scaled up and used right around the world to achieve big, big aims of addressing global inequalities. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I think, especially at a time where you know, the ethics of sport is being questioned heavily, um, because some of the practices that are being uncovered at the moment, it's great that, you know, that there is an organisation like yours that's doing this type of work and shows the positive impact that sport can have internationally. Um, Vijay, could you, uh, being sort of, I guess, the, a purse string holder, um, if that's the right way to phrase it, could you give some examples of some of the projects you've been involved with and what the outcomes from them have been? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so a couple of examples. The first one I'll, I'll talk about is in India, where the programme supported the development of uh, of sports participation and athlete development pathways and that was by introducing and shaping community sport so under 50 percent of girls attend secondary schools um, and for boys it's just 60 percent so sport is an opportunity a real opportunity to provide social messaging and education around the important issues such as equality and inclusion and then adding going down a bit further um, just over 20% uh, of people living in rural areas have access to improved sanitation facilities. And so to address these issues around both education and health, sport can really reach out to those hard-to-reach areas and help deliver a real enhanced message and knowledge around health issues such as sanitation and rights awareness. Uh, and also, importantly, not to be discriminated against. So from people outside, young people just outside of the formal education areas, um, they are able to play and develop their sports skills, but coupled with the wider social skills. 
And so, how does some, how does some of those? So, I presume then that you know, what is it games around the, the, their education? Is it how how does that sort of education process work? So, through the program, there was a significant amount of, sort of advocacy that was undertaken that encouraged the government to move the agenda forward. So here, it was used as a potentially a soft power and links into the policy point that um, Catherine was making earlier. And as a result, the government made PE a compulsory subject uh, in primary schools in three districts in India. For, I mean, that change came from both the grassroots level and from the top, and that's a unique part of INS work, ultimately, that um, with the people in the field, practitioners and participants, there was also they were also part of a systematic change here. So in Tanzania, there is work with the National Sports Council and the Ministry of Information, Youth, Culture and Sport, and that was developing a development developing higher quality sport through technical expertise. So the development developing and strengthening of of frameworks um, that was key in ensuring resources were used effectively and that there was monitoring and evaluation, that's, uh, that's a key part of our work. Catherine, that, that, that's what, what Vijay is saying, it really backs up what you were saying in that, you know, sport can address these sort of wider issues rather than just, it's not just about playing sport and having the direct physical benefit, it's also about um, addressing some of these bigger issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anyone who, you know, has ever benefited from sport or enjoyed sport, then the, the obvious sort of health benefits and social benefits are, are very natural and very sort of taken for granted now, but it is, it is this concept that, that it is it can be much bigger than that, and actually the influence sport can have, which is far beyond just this sort of obvious obvious health benefits. And, and you know we're you know we're talking about on the scale of it helps us to as a charity certainly to really lobby for human rights. Um, I mean we, we I mean the policy we have supports programs running in the field, and and in is an independent charity now. So we're still working with grassroots organisations all around the world. Uh, for example, another one that really close to my heart is um, in Zambia, in supports two programmes that support the rights of women through sports. So one of them is called the Go Sisters programme, and this provides young women with the opportunity to take on leadership roles within their community, and they're trained on sport, life skills, health education, and all that improves employment opportunities and by by them taking on these really prolific roles within the communities it, it helps to demonstrate not just the skills they learn themselves but obviously people also adopt more positive attitudes towards the girls because they see them in these, these bigger roles um, and the the women's empowerment program the idea is focusing on strengthening women physically but also teaching key skills to make sure that they are more employable and also cultivates networks of support they can just lean on through relationships they'll have built through the sport. Um, and and it's, I think it's really, really important that it does alter perceptions of sport and brings it into the spaces that, that, that do command the attention of the, the community, that people see women and sport and therefore treat them differently. So, I mean, for, for athletes that, you know, like myself, it, it, sport is my life. And for us, on, on a really deep level, sport kind of anchor, anchors us to values and disciplines. And, and that's, I think, what we want to try and translate all around the world to, to reach a lot of people that might not realise that otherwise. I, I mean, for me personally, I've, I mean, I've, I've sort of taken all that for granted. I've, I've been involved in sport pretty much my whole life. Uh, you know, my family weren't overly, overly enthusiastic in sport, but they were always, you know, very supportive and got me involved in things from a, from a very 
young age and I got involved with rowing when I was about 17 I went to university um, but it means that I've always just been absolutely surrounded by driven dynamic capable strong women who've got a just brilliant sense of humor and feel that they can take on any and every opportunity that opens up to them there's a sort of expectation that they can and they should and they will and and that's just very normal in my life and with the people I work with and and for me getting to work within has, has been a really timely reminder of how much sport can bring and develop characteristics as well as opportunities that, that might otherwise be there and that's like I said that's something that I just you know have in my life day to day and it's, it's a really good reminder to me that that you can't take that for granted and actually if you can give that to someone it's it's quite a gift and and both home and abroad I've seen how sport can just give girls and women confidence, how they, they come together to achieve something, they support each other, and they, they just have lifelong friendships that are forged through massive highs and lows that are shared. And it's you know, sport's quite a safe way to learn all those those amazing kind of life lessons. And I, do, I absolutely realise how lucky I am, um, especially being a team sport, as it being such a central part of my life. And, and it's just great for me to think that in the in programmes we run can help to bring those benefits to, to people girls, women, young children all over the world. Um, and also the, the, some of the, the work that we do in, in highlights the unique role of legacies. So especially after major, major sporting events and, and lasting long-term impact that sporting events can have and often go unreported. So, I mean, you know, in Britain at the moment, it's, you know, what's their legacy after 2012? How many people are doing sport? How many people are participating? And, and probably the international benefits have been underreported. So we're saying the, the Olympic programme we discussed earlier is recognised uh, by the IOC and the UN and it's the first ever legacy initiative linked to the Olympic and Paralympic Games and has set a really high precedent for other major events, uh, especially Olympic and Paralympic Games going forward. Do you think that this focus of a shared value in the, sort of the work that you're doing has enabled you to achieve this so positive change, bringing people together who share these values and um, I guess go through this humbling experience to see people in other environments where they're facing much more difficult challenges and maybe don't have access to the the, the, the facilities and support and people and, and the structures as, as you said Catherine. Do you think that really it's an example um, really going forward about what can be done if you can get athletes and business professionals and others all together with these values aligned yeah i think the values aspect is is really important because you know i think any any business organization any club any sporting setup you know anything anyone of a big group or a team coming together you know they'll all be one of the biggest things you can have is, is a shared goal and that that vision of what you're all going to achieve together and everyone needs to know the role and how to achieve that but i think when you you know that's absolutely fundamental and needs to be there in place but i think on a deeper level once you follow that through a few stages on you need to assess what the values are and once you accept what the actual values and what you sort of what you're going to live up to and what uh, it, it's much you know the value system is just a deeper more intrinsic level than than the goal setting which will change constantly the, the values sort of stay there and are really implicit and when you have people who are aware of those values and sign up to those values and live by those values, then it just becomes much more powerful in, in the sort of change you can affect and, and a very easy way to engage people when you kind of show what those values are. It is, you know, it is very universal and, and things that almost, you know, it's humanity you want to strive to, to achieve and live up to. And so the organisation is, is doing some wonderful work. It's quite clear that it's having a, a very significant impact, um, you know, in changing people's perceptions and cultures. However, 
working in sort of multi from uh, yeah from a legal perspective or just from an organization perspective working in multi jurisdictions is has its own unique set of challenges not purely just from the uh, pure legal perspective but also from a cultural perspective and um, vj what are the, the from you know your side of things what are the challenges that the organization faces i think the first thing we need to put this in the context we are a charity or a small charity limited resources limited funding and with that, it com- there comes it, its own challenges, but we have a global reach. And so the risks that we have in terms of the work that we do in countries can arise from a simple scoping visit where we might need to go into a country. And I have, I have to emphasize the countries that we work in are not going to be the safest, most transparent. They're going to have different cultural values, customs and practices, ones that we will not be accustomed to. So um, we need to consider practical issues about and how we can practically mitigate risks as far as we possibly can. So, for example, we refer to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office's advice on, on, on a particular country. We review our insurance cover. We debate unethical practices if we're faced with them. So, for example, what do you do in a scenario where you're presented by a government official overseas or, or anyone overseas who has to do a, a, a certain job but they expect a facilitation payment to do that job for you and without it um, they won't do it or or equally that you're you're threatened physically um, if you don't make a, a payment and um, so you've got there you've got your own personal safety whether to commit potentially offence under the Bribery Act um, what do you do now I know what I would do in that situation I would pay the bribe because my own personal safety under duress and all that sort of stuff, we know that, that you know, the law will recognise those sorts of situations, but you've got to do it because they can arise. I'm not saying they do arise here. Uh, most of our coping visits are successful. Um, and when, we, when they are, we, we do partner with local uh, organisations and then we enter into funding agreements and that presents another challenge because it is a multi-jurisdiction. It's a different jurisdiction. We say... You know, English law and the law of jurisdiction of um, England and Wales apply and that sort of stuff, but that's not going to really give any legal benefit to the charity because we've got limited resources if things go wrong. So what can happen there is that we just got to make sure we shift our focus in ensuring the money is, uh, that we've handed over um, is used for the purpose for which it's given and we make sure there's compliance with reporting and monitoring along the way. Um, and then with all of that, um, if assets have been purchased, for example, we make sure that there's evidence of this. It, this all sounds obvious, but as we can see from recent allegations uh, of corruption in international sports federations, when you're paying for something for a particular purpose, you go and make sure that that purpose has been achieved. Or if it's for buying something, you go and make sure that that thing has been bought. I think, you know, we talk impressively about what the organization does and it sounds wonderful and i think everyone can agree that it's a great thing to get behind and then when you talk about issues about you know people's liberty or safety about what it takes to get some of these projects off the ground i think it makes it all very real about the effort and and the challenges that you have to face to 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 really make an impact you forget sometimes that, that you have these issues that people are dealing with in order to just you know make some positive change and I guess it's in stark contrast to your day-to-day work when you're working with elite athletes or um, governing bodies. Um, following from Vijay's point, Catherine, you know, IN works with um, 
a lot of you know children in sport can you talk about what you're doing around the sort of the protection of young athletes because that's i think something that doesn't just extend um to developing countries and so forth it probably extends across the whole of sport absolutely and to be honest you know safeguarding children isn't just restricted sports actually it's something that you know we're aware of every day in every location in probably every country around the world and you just need to look at any any you know TV headlines to to see the news and the the tragedies that can happen to children at the hands of other people. Um, so so yeah, safeguarding children is is massively important. And and what IN does is we're part of a, a UNICEF-led initiative to safeguard children in sport. Um, so international safeguarding and procedures around child safety have been developed now in partnership with over 40 federations, associations, clubs and non-profit organisations. Um, if the procedures aren't in place in, in, in say, we want to bring a programme to a country, then IN supports organisations to develop and strengthen their capacities to implement and handle these situations. Because you know, it really is, as I said at the beginning, when you're thinking of children as, as one of the the most, if not the most vulnerable group of people in the world, then their safety is, is absolutely paramount. And and I think sport is, as I've said many, many times already today, um, you know, it, it it has the obvious tangible impacts, but it's it's often not seen as influential or as important as it could be in other areas and subsequently still remains an undervalued and an underutilized tool. So when you can shift that sort of the culture of how sport is viewed and especially at grassroots how it's viewed um then i think that's when you start to see changes happening and and that's where you know sport international development um you know if you can enable the expertise of smaller organizations like like in to contribute to the bigger conversation then then you can you know you can just start making impact on every level so you're ba- basically you're saying as well that the am i right then that the you know taking a positive and the saying to people so you gave an example there where you want a um uh, someone would like you to bring a project uh, to a particular region and you go there and say actually well, we can do this but if you allow us to help you um develop the systems or uh putting the appropriate protections in place because that 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 is almost is that easier than saying well, we haven't got this in so until you have this we're not going to turn up so frame it as a positive rather than a negative as an opportunity absolutely i mean i mean it's it's yeah it's an opportunity to change and to improve it's not you know it's not us weighing and saying until you do that you know we're not going to be interested or you know we're not going to help until it's the standard we want it's it's you know ideally this is you know, the safeguard of children is something you would hope every community, every every location, every club, every you name it, would would want to implement. And if they haven't got it in place, then absolutely we'd want to help them to get it into place because it, it should be seen as a very positive step and hopefully something that, you know, once they realise the importance of it or, or you know, help to, to achieve that opportunity, then then, then it's it's going to improve everyone. So, yes, it's not it's not sort of a stick to bash to with, but hopefully something that, that can help to improve the lives of many. Uh, and Vijay, you're a, um, you know, a commercial lawyer, um, you know, you do the regulatory stuff, you're also a commercial lawyer. What do you think the benefits are sort of commercially uh, you know, and economically for, for regions and towns and other organisations for that matter that participate within? What, what do you think the sort of benefits are from that side of things? Uh, sport and development area both has social and commercial return for national and international sports organisations. Now, I haven't quite pinpointed exactly the commercial return but i think the argument that that i'd 
that should be run and actually well, not argument I'd say that's probably the wrong word it's it's more the issue that needs to be looked at is how do you fit this in within the vision mission and objectives of the organization as a mainstream rather than being overlooked from overlooked from a commercial perspective as being part of corporate social responsibility and only indirectly contributes towards the vision, mission and objectives of organisations. How do you put it back into the mainstream core function of an organisation? How can it contribute to that? Um, at the moment, I don't think that there's, it's, the, it's the right approach that we're taking from a commercial perspective. Um, and I think there can be a direct benefit. I haven't put my finger on it, but it's worth having a discussion. But ultimately, an holistic view should be taken about this particular area and how it fits into wider commercial programs that national and sport, international sports organisations and their commercial partners have. Doesn't it come back to doesn't it doesn't it come back to what Catherine was saying as well about the values, as you said, the mission that when it's more rather than just lip service, you're doing something because you feel you have to or need to be seen to be doing it. You if you live, eat, and breathe it, and quite clearly it seems from the from from what you were saying that the benefits that that you know if an international athlete can be involved such as yourself Catherine who's you know been around the world and you know you know quite a grounded and individual can get so much from it you know the clear quite clearly then you'd like to think that other people um would, would also benefit as well from from being involved um on that point how can people get involved? Obviously, we've got well, the world's largest readership in, of sports lawyers and and the like, um, people involved in in sports regulation and governance, um, and we've got you know young aspiring lawyers and sports aspiring sports lawyers and sports executives. Um, what is it that uh, I for this is for either Catherine or VJ or both of you? What is it you you know that you're looking for in terms of okay you've got the fundraising stuff that you're you're trying to do but for how can people get involved in your organisation either if it is a commercial partner or if it is one of these individuals who's listening or, or reading the interview now and thinks you know this is an organisation I'd love to help how what can they do? Um, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I, I mean, I think what's been great and and obviously I'm biased, but uh, you know I've massively involved, uh, enjoyed the experience of the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympics, and I think one of the big thing there we saw was a game changer was the idea of the volunteers and the the games makers at the time, and it was people, t- you know, being involved in something they were very passionate about and very excited about, and it felt quite an honour for everyone to to play their role in it, and and I think we've seen an increase. Um, not just because of the big games, but but in time, sort of recognition of sport in charity work, and it's it's growing and it's and it's getting more popular, which is fantastic. Um, but it also puts huge pressure on, on organisations both overseas and the UK to find new funding sources, which will always be limited. Um, so certainly for international inspiration, we're always looking for people who could take part in challenging events or fundraising support. Um, anyone who you know listens in and thinks actually it's something I'd like to know more about or or get involved with or support or help or you know learn more about the projects we do or possibly go out and visit some of the projects we do, then the easiest thing is probably to go on the website, uh, which is very simple. It's uh, just internationalinspiration.org, and they can find out more. Um, another website to find other organisations who might need legal support, especially or if you're just volunteering in the field, is Sport and Dev. Dot org or one word sport and dev um, and and basically it's we've got young people at the heart of our activities so we want people to get interested in the sector and it's a great opportunity to network within the sport so you know for like you're saying about the commercial partners and stuff there's 
there's you know huge huge amounts of organizations in this field are supported both as funders and donors by some of the world's largest sports brands federations associations you name it like the ioc fifa adidas nike not to favor any particular ones but just big big brands big name um and there's just a, a significant trend for private sector companies to increasingly invest in this work um so, you know, if international inspiration is the work we've talked about today and it in any way aligns with with the kind of values that people out there are thinking about, then then just please get in touch because there's always there's always something that can be done and we'll always always want people to get involved with it. Um and it is, it is I know this podcast is specifically about law and, and this is you know, it is for me, law was my law was my kind of original love. It was uh before I started rowing, before I did sports the USB. It was generally what I thought I would do with my life. I went to, I went and got my law degree, and I thought that would be um, my future. And and I kind of, I think for me, when I when I was, when I was really really young at school. You know, my big sister was bullied for a while. I remember I just always felt really strong sense of frustration and anger at that bullying, and always just naturally hated injustice and inequality. And for me, I think. You know, on a on a base level, I didn't consciously think it at the time, but I think as I got older and thought about careers, law to me felt something that can that can just help level the playing field and and help people who might not be able to help themselves, give people a chance, give people a sense of self worth, a level of protection that they might not have otherwise. Um, that's to me what law can offer. And you know, I didn't I thought I would help people through law, but I I helped ironically through through sport and then coming back into law that way. Um, but for me. Cre- I think the most important thing that law can do is give people a voice, and um, doesn't matter who you are, everyone deserves a voice. Well, that's 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 you know my heartfelt belief in as an organisation. What we stand for is that you know people have to, in order to have true rule of law, people need to understand the rules and regulations that are meant to govern their behaviour. I bore everyone with that phrase all the time, but I think if people do have access to information and if sport or any other art form for that matter, allows people to understand, engage, become more confident and have access to information. Um, And if it, you know, particularly if you look at the sanitation stuff that was, that Vijay was talking about, um, or the empowering women initiatives that you were talking about, Catherine, that it, it's so powerful because if you can find that vehicle and you can make people interested and feel that they do have, uh, uh, when they do take action, it actually has an impact. Um, then it can it can achieve wonderful things, and I think you know if you look at the, the the policy changes, if you're able to to change policy, that's a powerful thing. And I always recommend to particularly the um, I would say established. I think a lot of established sports lawyers uh, who I haven't already should be involved with with organisations like yourself, um, because I just think it's an enriching experience, and I think it um, it just adds so much to it. Give it get you get so much back from it, don't you? Rather than it's not just about you giving, yeah. you get so much back. I mean, I- because I think I, I mean certainly for sport, I felt I, I've you know gained so much from over the years, and it's, it's given so much. And I wanted to give back in some way, and I was always someone, you know, who felt athletes should think you know beyond just the sport and get involved in in the biggest way they can. And and I you know believe passionate in what I felt sport could make a difference. But it genuinely wasn't until I started working with the charity and the organisation that it sort of hit home to me just just what an impact it can have and I think impact is a crucial word because you know it's great to have these ideals and these goals and these visions and everything else but ultimately it's about making change and it's about you know actually directly influencing policy and having an impact and changing people's lives and you know when when you feel that momentum happening and actually it's not just words it's not just 
you know, amazing rhetoric or, or a great vision of what could be. It's actually, you know, change is happening to in real people on the ground level. Then then you feel you're actually doing something good and, and that, that there is, I don't know, there's hope for, for a better future for everyone, really. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you're inspiring me right now. So <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm going <laughs> to go go and do some volunteering for the day, I think. Um, well, that's at least one person <laughs> I've got. Good. Well, um, VJ. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for your time today and for, for putting us in contact. And uh, Valerie Samson, thank you for organising this. And Catherine, I know that you're um, busy training at the moment, and you know, got. To... I'm heading straight to the gym after. Oh, well, after now you're making me feel doubly <laughs> bad. So there's two things I need to do: go and do volunteering and go to the gym. Um, so I've changed your life just in this last half hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, thank you both very much. I think it's great work your organisation is doing, and I'm, I'm pleased that we're able to, you know, give some profile and explain, um, you know, a little bit about what, what what you're up to and the impact it can have. And hopefully, there's um, other, um, you know, charitable organisations out there who are listening as well, and, and take some inspiration from that as well. And that's um, no, really positive. So yeah. Thank you for giving me a positive well, morning show. And, uh, and, Remember, and for your input. Remember, for all your expert commentary and analysis on legal been, issues and developments from the world of sport, go to yes, laurensport.com uh, or follow us on Thank Twitter you. at laurensport. You can follow us on our LinkedIn page, our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And of course, you can download the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. I hope you have a great week.